Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Good morning. Welcome to Silverdale Baptist Church. I'm Tony Walliser. I'm one of the pastors here at Silverdale, and I get the privilege of sharing with you God's Word. So this is what I encourage you to do. Take your Bibles and open up to the book of Genesis chapter 2. But do this as well. Take out these Bible study outlines because we're going to be looking at a number of verses today. So I'd encourage you to follow along and take notes as we study God's Word together. As you know, we've been in this series called Hope, you know, Has a Name. And what we've done is each week we've looked at different areas in our life where we struggle. And yet what we discover is that whenever you learn the names of God, when you know the characters of God, what happens is is that that God meets with you in that deepest area of need. And so we've seen different needs each week. For those of you who are hurting, God is the healer. For, For those of you who are weary, God is your strength. He is the victory. For those of you that are fearful, God is your peace. And so each week we've discovered that, you know, God meets with us in our deepest area of need. He is the great I am. And today we're going to talk about a universal need, something that we all experience, and it's this. There is hope for the sinful. God is the Lamb of God. Now, you may be here and you go, well, you know what, I don't know if I really have any sin. And I'm like, really? Really? You're fooling yourself, right? I mean, it's a universal thing. We all do feel sin. Every person on this planet has felt guilt in one way or another. We all know we've crossed the line. We we all know we've missed God's mark. We all know that we're selfish and self-centered and that we sin against God. And so what is God's answer to our sinfulness as humanity? God becomes the Lamb of God. Now, you may wonder, okay, why is this necessary? Well, inside of every one of us, there is this universal sense of justice, right? Somebody's done you wrong, and you feel like there needs to be justice. Have you ever felt that emotion before where you're like, hey, somebody's got to pay, right? Ever felt that before? I mean, maybe it was 19 years ago. The Twin Towers, the, the jets fly into the Twin Towers, and they come down. And almost universally, as Americans, we all felt this emotion, Somebody's got to pay, right? I felt that emotion, right? Or, or, or maybe you hear of a child who gets abused, sort of like this boy this month, who was abused by his mom's boyfriend and he killed him. And when you hear these stories, you go, 
Somebody's got to pay, right? There's a sense of justice within us that we know somebody's got to pay. Have you ever felt that emotion before? I mean, you know, have you ever been robbed? Or maybe somebody stole something from you. That's happened to me twice. And, you know, um, whenever somebody steals from you, you just have this, this sense of, oh, my goodness, I've been violated. I, I had my wallet stolen, and they took my credit card, and they bought a brand-new television from Walmart. And immediately inside of me, I'm like, we need to go to Walmart. We need to look at the surveillance footage. We need to catch those criminals because somebody's got to pay, right? You just sense that. We all have that sense. That's a sense of justice. But it's not just us. It's not just, you know, this culture. No, it's universal. You go back through history. All civilizations, all humans for out, every tribe, you name it, every system, every civilization of humans has felt this justice that, you know what, when they've been done wrong, you've got to pay. You've got to make amends for what you've done. It's called atonement. In fact, Webster's defines atonement this way. Making amends or a payment for offenses committed. So where does that come from? I mean, if all of humanity, for all of history, has had that sense of justice, somebody's got to pay for doing me wrong, where does that come from? Well, I believe it comes from God himself. See, we're created in the image of God, and God has this sense of justice. God has this sense of righteousness that whenever something's done wrong, somebody's got to pay. Now, what's amazing is how God answers our issue and our need and our sin. What God does is he reveals himself as the Lamb of God. And so what we're going to do today is we're literally going to summarize, I'm going to summarize the entire Bible for you. I am going to summarize for you the main theme throughout the Bible. You see, all the way through the Bible, God gives these little sneak peeks. Have you ever been to a movie theater before? And you're, you're waiting for the main presentation, the main movie. And what do they do? They always have these little previews for you, don't they? I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. I can't stand them. But what are they doing? They're giving you all these previews. Okay, this is a movie that's coming down. And they'll take a little portion of the movie to sell you on it. So you go, oh my goodness, coming this Christmas or coming this, you know, summer. I got to go see that. I mean, this, this past week, you had Star Wars came out with their trailer, you know, and it's the very final Star Wars film coming out in Christmas, and millions of us go, oh, i got to go see that show, right? I mean, why? That's the little sneak peek. Well, did you know that God, throughout the Bible, gives us this little sneak peek of the main event? And what they all have in common is a lamb dies. And so I want you to see that. And so let's do a little quick survey of the Bible as God revealing himself as the lamb of God. First thing I want you to see is back in the book of Genesis. Jot this down. Death in paradise. Death in paradise. God creates paradise, puts Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and gives them a high-risk gift. Freedom of choice. But with that high-risk gift that God gives them, free will, there is a high cost of atonement if they break God's will. Look at it. It's found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. God says, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day that you eat from it, look at it, you will certainly die. You disobey me, God says, it's going to lead to death. Physical death, spiritual death, eternal death. Okay? 
But Adam and Eve, they ignored God's directive. They sinned against God. And then what did they do? They, they, they try to hide from God, take care of their sins themselves. Look at it, Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were open. And they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Folks, that's religion. That's man's attempt to cover up their nakedness, our sinfulness on our own. And that's what we do. We always try to hide our shame or cover it up or ignore it or rationalize it away. It's really not that big a deal. And so all of creation is sort of waiting on the edge of their seat. What's God going to do? Right? I mean, they've rebelled. They've sinned. What's God going to do? Has God going to send a lightning bolt and bloop, you know, just destroy them? Or is God going to come into the garden and say, Adam and Eve, you know what? Boys will be boys, girls will be girls. No big deal. We can just look past this, right? I'll just wink at sin. No. God, who is holy and just, there's consequences for their sin, right? I mean, think about it. It's the same way in every culture. At the moment that a society no longer has justice, that society crumbles. I mean, if we have judges that basically say, you can murder, or you can rape, or you can do these things, and there's no consequences, eventually that society falls apart. You see, God is extremely just and holy and righteous, and so Adam and Eve have sinned against him, and so God brings them in and says, okay, there's some consequences. In essence, the world's going to be turned upside down. I mean, the fertile ground that you're used to, it's not going to be fertile anymore. Childbirth is going to be incredibly painful. Relationships, marriage relationships, it's going to be hard because selfishness and ego are going to come in. And, and, and not only that, these perfect bodies you've had that live forever, no more. Perfect place called paradise, dwelling with me, no more, out. Right? But then after God lays out all these consequences, then God does something really strange. It's found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. The Lord God made clothing for skins, from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. Now, most people sort of skip over that little detail, but it's very important. Because basically, what has God done? God is saying, you try to cover up your sin on your own. I'm not accepting that. The only thing that I'm going to accept of your covering is a sacrifice. And so what does God do? God has Adam and Eve there, and God brings in an animal. I believe it's a lamb. I'll tell you why in just a second. And God sacrifices that lamb and makes coverings for them. They've never seen blood before. They've never seen death like this before. They've never heard squeals of death like this before. I mean, I'm sure Adam and Eve were just taken back by this entire event that here's this animal that is now suffering and dying so that they and their sin can be covered up. What's the point? It's called atonement. That any time you have someone who takes your place they atone in your place for, for your sin. You go, well, why do you believe that it's a lamb? Because the very next chapter in the book of Genesis, you have Adam and Eve's children. Their two oldest children are Cain and Abel. Cain was a farmer, and Abel was a shepherd. And they both build an altar to Yahweh God. And Cain brings the produce of his own labor, his work, and he presents it to God. And Abel, on the other hand, brings lambs and sacrifices them to God. How did God respond to these two? Look at it, it's found in Genesis chapter 4, verse 4. Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock. 
and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Abel offered a lamb. Cain offered, you know what, some grain. And God says, look, Cain, you're just like your parents, trying to, in your own strength, be acceptable to me. That's not going to work. You have to have a third party that has to die. In essence, what Abel was doing was he's remembering what happened with his parents. And he says, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I deserve death. And so, God, I'm asking that you take this sacrifice of these lambs and that they experience death in my place so that you can cover up my sin. What is that called? It's called substitutionary atonement. I've put this on your outline because, listen, you will not understand Christianity unless you understand the comp- and comprehend substitutionary atonement. You go, what is that? Well, I've put this on your outline. Look at this definition. Substitutionary atonement means an innocent third party stands in the place of the guilty party and takes the penalty for their sin, thereby satisfying the demands of justice and then allowing the guilty party to go free. And so whenever God provides a third innocent party to take the death in our place, God's relationship with us is then restored, and we get to go free. We are forgiven our sins. And so what God does is he starts it there in the garden, but he continues. And what you see is all the way through the scriptures, this same idea is weaved again and again and again and again. And so let me show you all the little sneak peeks, right? Let's move from Genesis. Now let's move to the book of Exodus. Jot this on your outline. And let's talk about the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb. In the book of Exodus, what do you have? You have the nation of Israel. They're in slavery in Egypt. They've become pagan. They've taken on a lot of the characteristics of Egypt. You have the Egyptians. They are pagan people. And basically God says through Moses, it's judgment time. Somebody's got to pay. It's atonement time, right? And so... God says, I'm going to send a death angel over all Egypt. And every household, the firstborn of every household, will die. Unless. And then he gives the exception. Look at it. It's found in Exodus chapter 12, verse 3. On the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses. A lamb for a household. Verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish a male one year old. And so you take this spotless, innocent lamb, one year old, and you sacrifice it. You take the blood, you cut its throat, you take the blood, and you put it above the doorpost and and on the doorpost. And if you do that, God says, the death angel will pass over your home and everybody in the house will be spared. That's God's plan. Now, there are some in Egypt that, you know what, ignored that. What's up with a stupid sacrifice? We're not going to do that, right? But then many in Israel, they did that. Can you imagine a dad? He, he goes outside into his flock, and he's looking for this perfect one-year-old lamb. And maybe, let's just say, his 12-year-old son, his firstborn, is there with him. And, and he grabs one, and he's about to sacrifice it and cut its throat. And the little boy goes, Dad, Dad, no, no, no. That's my favorite. That's my pet. Or, Dad, that's, the, that's our best one. You can't kill that lamb. And then the dad looks at him and says, son, it's atonement time. Either you die, God says, or the lamb dies. I'm going to choose the lamb, right? Now, what's interesting here is that in the book of Genesis, you find that 
there is a lamb that is sacrificed for each individual. Here, with Passover, there is one lamb that covers the entire household. Did you know that God wants to cover your entire household? Have you ever thought of that before? That God wants your family saved? In fact, in the book of 1 Corinthians... Chapter 7, the Apostle Paul says you can have just one believing spouse or parent and the entire household is sanctified. You go, what does that mean? That means that God wants to use you to reach your entire family. That one person, one saved person in a household, God supernaturally says, I'm setting this household aside so that they can be saved. God works supernaturally in your families and in your households. That's what God wants to do. In fact, let me give you another example of this. In the New Testament, you have this guy called the Philippian jailer. He realizes he needs to be saved. He comes to Paul and says, what must I do to be saved? Look at Paul's response to him. In Acts chapter 16, verse 31, Paul responds, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. You and your what? Say it out loud. Household. Can I tell you something? God wants to save your household. God wants your whole household covered by the blood of the Lamb. Can you imagine that dad at Passover? Imagine that this dad, it's Passover night, the evening's about to come, and he knows the death angel's about to come. And yet maybe he's got some family members or some kids that are outside, and he, he comes to the door and he says, kids, family, come in the house. You are only covered if you are in the household covered by the blood of the lamb. Come in this house. Why? Because he's desperate. He knows that they've got to get covered by the blood of the lamb in order to not affect, be affected by the death angel. Can I tell you something? This next week, I'm asking you to have that same kind of intensity. I'm asking you to go to your spouse or your kids, or your grandkids, maybe those individuals that do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and I'm asking you, will you compel them? Will you beg them? Will you bribe them? Will you do whatever it takes for you to do to get them at one day? Why? Because God is going to meet with us in an unusual way next week. We've been praying and fasting and believing that God is going to set down on that place. We're wanting God to do a move, not in, only in our church, but in this city. God's going to meet with us next day. And if you have a lost family member, you need to say, come to the house. We need you. We want you. Why? Because God's moving, and I don't want you outside of this. And so next week... Make sure your family is there. The whole household is saved. That's what the Passover tells us. But there's another sneak peek. After Passover, we learn something else in the scriptures. Jot this down. The temple sacrifices. The temple sacrifices. From the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, we have this description from God to Moses to set up a tabernacle and a temple. Okay, these are going to be the sacrifices that are made. Here's the priests. This is the lineage. Here's the Levites. Here, here's what it's going to look like. This is how the sacrifice can be done. Here's the holy days. I mean, entire books lay this whole thing out. And though there's many different animals that are sacrificed, the primary animals are what? A lamb. Check it out. Let me give you an example. Exodus chapter 29 verse 38 says this. This is what you are to offer regularly on the altar every day. Two-year-old lambs 
in the morning, offer one lamb. At twilight, offer the other lamb. The only way the priest could come into the presence of God is if every day they offered two lambs to cover their sins so they could, you know, mediate with the people of God. Once a year, all the nation of God had to go to Jerusalem and had to offer a sacrifice. They had to confess their sins. And then there was an offering made. A sacrifice of a lamb was made. All of that was a foreshadowing. And God was saying, I am going to pass over the sins of my people. And so in Genesis, you have a passing over of individual sins. Passover, Passover of what? Family sins, temple, passing over the nation's sins. But then we move from the temple and their sacrifices to what I call the prophets. Jot that down. For about 700 years, God sent prophets in the Old Testament to his people Israel. And these prophets, they spoke and predicted about a coming Messiah. They predicted where the Messiah would be born, Bethlehem. They predicted the kind of ministry he would have. He would be healing and he'd be teaching. They predicted where he would do ministry, like Galilee. They predicted all these things, but they also predicted how he would suffer and die. The largest prophecy in the Old Testament is this prophet called Isaiah. He wrote 750 years before Jesus came. Look at what he predicted about the Messiah in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. Look at what God's word says. It says this about the Messiah. He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds, by his stripes we're healed. We all went astray like sheep. We, we've all turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Like a lamb led to slaughter, like sheep silent before her shears, he did not open his mouth. Now the people that read this, they're like, wait a minute. I mean, those that were understood the temple sacrifices are like, this sounds like God isn't just going to accept, you know, the, the sacrifices of animals anymore. It sounds like God is going to sacrifice a human. One person, one human is going to become the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of all of humanity. And so they begin to ask this question, who, when, how is that going to happen? Well, then finally comes the very last prophet of the old covenant you actually find him in the new testament his name is john the baptizer he's the last prophet of the old covenant and john the baptizer comes and he is called to prepare the way for the messiah and he says repent for the kingdom of god is at hand and all the people of israel are coming out to him repenting of their sins but then jesus comes out to john and what does John say to Jesus? Look at it. It's found in John chapter 1, verse 29. He saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. For hundreds of years, people have been looking for the Lamb of God. And John points to Jesus and says, He is the Lamb of God. Not the Lamb that will cover up your sins. No, He's the Lamb of God who take away your sins. And not just the sins of an individual, not just the sins of a family, not just the sins of a nation. No, he's going to take away the sins of the entire world. All those other things were the foreshadowing. Everything in the Old Testament was just a sneak peek of God's main event. Are you ready to hear God's main event? It's Jesus Christ. Jot that on your outline. Jesus is God's final sacrifice. 
Jesus is God's final sacrifice. All those other things were just sneak peeks and previews of his main event, which was Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ comes, and guess what? He fulfills all the prophecies that were made about the Messiah, every one of them. But then you go, okay, uh, is he going to die the way he was predicted to die? Absolutely. In fact, Jesus even said he would. Look at what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Jesus says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, look at it, and give his life as a ransom for many. In your outline, circle the word ransom there. You know what that is? That is a debt payment. Jesus paid the penalty. And so what happened to Jesus Christ? Jesus was betrayed like it was prophesied for 30 pieces of silver. He was falsely arrested and accused and tried. They beat him beyond recognition, and then they nail him to a cross. And the people surround him, mocking him, all as it was predicted. And can you imagine that moment? (laughs) Whenever Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is there, you can imagine that all of heaven, you you think that Adam and Eve squirmed whenever God sacrificed an animal, a lamb for them to cover them? You you think that 12-year-old boy, you know, felt a little queasy whenever his dad killed that lamb to cover and sprinkle the blood above their doorposts? What about this moment? When the Son of God himself is nailed to the cross and suffering for who? For you and for me. The Bible says that from 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock, all the earth became dark. In that moment, Jesus Christ took in his body all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our hell. Jesus Christ endured it all on the cross. And after three hours of that, Jesus cries from the cross, what? It's finished. Paid in full. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. Now, do you deserve that kind of love? Absolutely not. You and I, we've broken the commandments of God. We're the ones who've crossed the line. We're the ones who've sinned. We're the ones who've thumbed our noses at Almighty God. We're the ones who have shaken our puny fist at our Creator and said, you're not the boss of me. I'm going to do what I want to do. You can't tell me how to live my life. That's who we are. And yet God says, I love you. And I've sent my son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. Now, you may go, Pastor Tony, how do you know that happened? A couple of reasons. One, because Jesus Christ fulfilled all the prophecies. Hundreds of prophecies. Mathematically, it is impossible for one man to fulfill all those prophecies. And yet, Jesus did. But then the greatest evidence that God gave us was what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, look how the Apostle Paul puts this. In Romans chapter 1, verse 4, he says this. He, Christ, was publicly identified as who? The Son of God, God's Son. How did he do that? With power through his resurrection from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the ultimate evidence that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be and that he did what he claimed he would do. Jesus Christ became the substitutionary atonement for all of our sins. Now, we would think, okay, Well, that's probably the last time we see the image Lamb of God in the Bible, right? Jesus died. But because Jesus Christ rose again, we actually find that phrase, Lamb of God, in one final book. It's the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And so this is what I want you to jot down in your outline. The Lamb of God in heaven. The Lamb of God in heaven. You see, one day you're going to stand, you're going to die, and you're going to stand before holy God. 
And you know who's gonna be there that will judge you? Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. That's who's gonna do the judgment in that day. You go, well, why? Why Jesus? Because he alone was found worthy. We can see this in Revelation chapter five, verse six. Notice what the Bible says. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne. This is heaven. And the 24 elders fell down before the lamb and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. And what you discover when you read the book of Revelation, that the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, what does he do? He starts breaking the seals of God's final revelation and judgment on humanity. Now, in that moment, whenever you stand before Christ, can I just tell you something? There's not gonna be any deal-making. There's not gonna be negotiating or debating. Well, not really all that bad. No, there's none of that. You see, you're gonna to respond to the Lamb of God in that day of judgment in one of two ways. There are two groups in the book of Revelation, and I want you to notice how they respond differently to the Lamb. Let's look at the first group. The first group is called the redeemed. Jot this down, the redeemed. These are individuals that have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We have a picture of them found in Revelation chapter seven, verse nine. Look at what the Bible says there. I looked. And there was a vast multitude, I love this, from every nation, tribe, people, language, which no one could number. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're gonna be part of that number. There you are, you're in that verse right there, okay? Which no one can number. What are they doing? Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the lamb. Do you see how this group is responding to the lamb? They're standing. They're worshiping. They are dressed in dazzling white. Why? Because they've been completely been forgiven of all their sins. These are individuals who've received Christ as their Lord and Savior. These are the individuals that have experienced the great exchange with Christ. When you receive Christ, you know what happens? You give Jesus your guilt, and he gives you his grace. You give Jesus your sin, he gives you his forgiveness. You give Jesus your brokenness, and he gives you his healing. You give Jesus, you know what, your imperfection, and he gives you perfection. That's what it means. They're clothed in white. You're made whole. That's what the Bible says. And my wife Susan uh, tells of a time whenever she was in a worship service. And um, during that time, God met with her in a really powerful way. Um, many of you may know my wife Susan's story. Um, she was abused as a child. And that abuse left a lot of scars in her heart. And um, a lot of insecurities and wrong beliefs about herself and maybe about God. And she just felt dirty. And she said that one service, we were singing a worship song about the Lamb of God. The song was this one, you've heard it before. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is he. And in that moment, as she just closed her eyes and she's just worshiping the Lord, singing those words, 
It was like God gave her this little image or vision in her mind of this beautiful lamb, spotless, white, and yet his throat had been cut and he's bleeding out. And in that moment, she hears God say to her, Susan, put your hands on the head of the lamb. And she said whenever she did that, suddenly she was dressed in dazzling white. And she sensed the forgiveness and healing and wholeness and cleansing of Almighty God. And she said, I knew in that moment I was loved and forgiven and absolutely clean. Why? Because God used that image of the lamb to heal her wounded soul. Can I tell you something? God wants to do that. God wants to heal you. God wants to restore you. God wants to forgive you. But it doesn't happen apart from the Lamb of God. Everything else we do is just religion. It's just our own effort. It's just fig leaves. It doesn't work. The Lamb alone. So that's one group who's worshiping the Lamb in heaven, right? But there's another group, and I call them the condemned. Jot that on your outline. Condemned. These are people that, you know what, they haven't accepted God's plan. These are individuals like Cain that basically say, God, you, you got to accept my own labor and what I do and my religion. God, you've got to accept this, and this is all I'm going to give you, God, so you better be satisfied with it. Or, or maybe this is like the Egyptians that said, you know what? I'm not going to kill a lamb and put it on the doorpost, the blood on the doorpost. I'm going to do my own thing. You know, these are individuals that have rejected the lamb of God in their life. And how are they described in their relationship to the Lamb? It's found in Revelation chapter 6, verse 16. What the Bible says. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Because the great day of their wrath has come and who's able to stand? Now, you see how these guys are described? They are not standing worshiping. No, they are, they are hiding. They, they, they are not, you know, experiencing God's presence and joy and blessing. No, they are hiding from God. Rocks fall on us. We don't want to see God's face. Are, are they saved? No, they are about to experience the wrath of the Lamb. That's what the Bible says. And so, I have a simple question for you today. Which group are you in? If you die tonight and you stand before God, you're going to stand before the Lamb who has been purchased for you, who died for you, who suffered for all of your sins, and there's not going to be any negotiation in that moment. The question is, have you made the great exchange? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Can I tell you something? Today can be that day. If you've never made that decision to receive Christ as your Lord, then today is that day. You can be forgiven by the blood of the Lamb. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the Connect Card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six-week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus's final words to his disciples in the upper room. They are about to enter the darkest moment in history, and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, there are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. 
We really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.